Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Living the Sky Life podcast. Today, I am so excited to talk all things spelling to communicate. For those who follow me pretty closely on social media, most of my content and um, the topics that I talk about as of the last year or so um, is the spelling to communicate program that we started with Skylar about a year and a half ago. This has completely changed all of our lives. I've always mentioned how we have tried numerous means to communicate with Skylar um, throughout the 18 years of his life, and just nothing has seemed to click with him, resonate with him. So I was a huge skeptic when someone suggested spelling to communicate to me, um, like I said, a year and a half ago, because I just really didn't know that all of that was in there. I think the biggest lesson that I've learned from this entire process that I wished I would have heard spoken to me, um, gosh, back when he was three and diagnosed, is always presume competence. If you continue to think that way about your children um, throughout their entire life, anything is possible. Never, ever underestimate the intelligence and all that your child is capable of. So hopefully Kelly gives you some even more exciting things to think about um, and ways to approach communication with your child if they're nonverbal, non-speaking, non-reliably speaking um, through her conversation with me. So before I get into that, let me formally introduce my guest today. Um, on the podcast is Kelly Howe. She is a spelling to communicate practitioner, occupational therapist, and owner of Adroit Therapy Services in Knoxville, Tennessee. In her practice, she strives to help non-speaking, minimally speaking, and unreliably speaking individuals gain access to reliable communication. Kelly has been using spelling to communicate with her clients since 2016 and is currently helping to train new practitioners through the International Association for Spelling as Communication, or the IASC. As I said numerous times already, Kelly is our Spelling to Communicate therapist for Skylar. He adores her. I adore her. And I'm so glad that she agreed to be on the podcast for a second time to talk through some of the questions that I routinely get about Spelling to Communicate. So hopefully all those are answered um, through our conversation. So please enjoy my chat with Kelly. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. I am pleased to have again on the podcast, um, Skylar Spelling to Communicate Therapist, Kelly Howe. So Kelly, thanks for coming on again. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be back. Sure. I get so many questions about spelling um, and I'm, I'm really happy that I get a lot of those. I post a ton of um, pictures of Skylar spelling. And I talk a lot about his spelling over the last year and a half and how it's just changed our life and his life. And so I was hoping that you could answer some of the questions better than I can <laughs> since you're the practitioner. Yes, I know. Um, so for those who don't really have an idea about spelling to communicate, or they just roughly know that it's spelling and typing, um, but don't really understand the process. Can you kind of give an overview for how maybe how you meet with a family, like how it all gets started um, and, and what Spelling to Communicate really is, is looking for with your learners. Absolutely. So Spelling to Communicate first and foremost is just a form of assistive technology and we support non-speaking, minimally speaking and unreliably speaking people to ultimately find reliable communication. Um, for a lot of my spellers, speech is not their most reliable form of communication. Even if they have some speech, it's often scripts or loops and just not their most efficient form of communication. Um, 
And so when I meet with a family, the first thing we do is just talk about your child. What has your experience been with communication in the past? Have you used PECS or ProLoquo or a Dynavox or the LAMP program, right? What have you used before? How did it go? What did you see that really didn't work for you? Um, and then I'd love to hear just a little bit about what your goals are, right? What, is, what are you hoping for, for your child? And how would communication kind of change things? And then what I do is talk a lot about what the plan is in spelling to communicate, right? Our plan is always to teach the motor skills needed to point to letters and spell words so that ultimately that becomes our form of reliable communication. Um, a lot of current research suggests that people with autism and other sensory motor differences experience what they call synaptic noise, which is essentially just feedback, inefficient feedback from your motor and sensory system. Um, and it makes it difficult for your brain and body to work together in a purposeful way. And so my goal as a practitioner working with any family is to help that individual, that speller, um, support those systems and build new motor pathways. So the brain and body talk to each other more efficiently, they're better connected. And ultimately we're gonna build the motor skills they need to be able to reliably and effectively communicate using a letter board. So being able to point to those letters. Um, and that's something that is new for a lot of families when I come in and talk to them um, about why are we going to work on motor skills and not cognitive skills right off the bat? Mm -hmm. But when we really look at that in individuals with autism, with apraxia, other sensory motor differences, the real challenge there is getting a reliable motor skill so that we can demonstrate everything that we already know. And I think that's so important to point out because I mean, even I have read after Skylar started spelling. I read Underestimated, which is an excellent book, mm -hmm. and Buried Under Years of Dust by Valerie Gilpier. I read all of those. I've talked to those parents um, and many of the spellers um, on your client list. I've, you've given me permission. I've talked to their moms and dads before we started. Um, and it's, it's hard for parents, especially like me, who, has waited, who have waited 18 years for their child to say something um, or to demonstrate their knowledge and things that they know. And it takes a long time for a lot of people. Those books that I referenced, those adults um, that started spelling, it came very quickly, but they didn't have motor delays like I can reference with Skylar. Um, and it was a very important that you pointed that out to me when you first met with my family. Um, you even said, I, I, I kind of rolled my eyes, not visibly, but in my mind, I was like, you know, she's going to come and that's great. And I'll entertain any of these things because I want to help Skylar, but there's no way he is going to sit and listen to her read to him. He doesn't sit still ever. Um, and you even told me like, this, this is what I see a lot. They walk around, they disappear, they go into another room, but I still keep reading. And then they come back, they settle their body and they start to spell. And it's just unbelievable how much they retained when they were not sitting and listening and paying attention. So we thought, so right. motor planning, you know, you talk about that a ton and you always remind me of that. Why is that such an important piece for parents to keep in mind about the length of time that it might take for your speller to get off of three boards or, you know, to, pr to progress fast? Absolutely. With exactly what you're talking about, that's a, something that I get that reaction of that internal eye roll, or I've had families who now down the line will tell me, when you came in and told me what you were going to do, I thought you were crazy. I thought this is not a fit for us. <laughs> this, she has never seen a kid like my kid if she thinks that he is going to come in and sit, right? And that is what I get all the time. So it, you having that thought is certainly not um, outside my norm by any means. Um, but when we're developing this motor skill, what, that is what we're developing. We're developing the motor. And so I always like to, with my families, do a little simulation early on where, um, and I can actually do it with your listeners right now, right? So I want you to imagine that you um, can't 
use your mouth and you can't use your hands, okay? But I want you to answer these questions for me, okay? So don't use your hands, don't move your mouth, but answer this question. What color is the shirt you're wearing? What is your address? right? Without your ability to use your mouth or use your hands, answering those questions becomes really challenging. But you heard and understood what my question was, and your brain formulated an answer to that question. You just weren't able to get it out. And so in Spelling to Communicate, my job as a practitioner is to help you get that answer out. And Building the motor skill necessary to do that takes time and it takes practice because what we're really working on is the motor piece mm -hmm. to be able to get that answer out. You've got to be able to effectively use some part of your body to demonstrate that you do have an answer. Um, so I often think of spelling to communicate similar to an athletic endeavor, right? There are going to be some people who step up to the plate at baseball and you pitch the ball and they hit it right off the bat, right? There are gonna be others who have other pieces of that swing that they've really got to work on. And it takes them more time to be able to be as effective with their baseball swing as it was for somebody who is very naturally athletic to just walk up and hit the ball. And it's the same in spelling to communicate. For some of my clients, they can come in and sit in the chair and what you're describing about that getting up and walking around or um, in, even impulsively darting out the door, right? Or jumping in the corner. Those kinds of things are maybe not a challenge for some of my clients, but for some of them, they are. And so for some people, we're working on sitting endurance. We're working on being able to hold your body in the chair because if you can't hold your body in the chair, being able to use your arm to precisely hit the letter that you're looking for, is going to be really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, for some of my clients, we've got to really work on getting the eyes and the hands to work together. You're not going to be able to hit the letter you want if you can't get your eyes on it first. Yep. And so for some of my clients, those aren't a challenge. And like you read about in the books that you mentioned, some of those things, we are, they were able to fly right through. Whereas for some of my clients, it takes months of practice to get comfortable with holding my body in the chair, using my eyes to find the letter before I start to poke. And we have to work on those foundational skills to ultimately get to the same place, which is that reliable, effective communication. What's so interesting too, is that when you have reliable spellers, um, meaning that they're accurate all the time, they, you know, are spelling out sentences and exactly what they want to say, and it matches to what you're discussing or whatever. So I guess that's the best description of reliable, right? Yes. Um, I call it reliable or effective. And when I think of effective communication, what I'm talking about is you can communicate your thoughts anywhere at any time to anyone, right? Mm -hmm. That that piece of the way that you and I communicate. If I'm out in the community, I can communicate my needs and wants and thoughts and opinions and beliefs in any situation. And that's ultimately what I'm looking for for my clients as well. Yeah, and and what, what I was, you know, kind of getting at with that being interesting is that you, you know, when you guys first started out doing spelling, you might not have had reliable spellers right off the bat, but as soon as you have had reliable spellers in your client list and even the, the two adults that were mentioned in those books, they themselves have said, here's the situation. When I first started spelling, yes, I could not sit my body down. And then, I mean, even I've had Karen on one of your, um, mm -hmm. your clients um, or her children, um, but she even mentioned that her son you know, kept insisting that she continue to, I think it was put lotion on his hands or something because his hands were irritated, but he kept pushing her away and pushing her away. And, and he spelled, you know, I, I, I'm not meaning to push you away. I'm trying to fight my body against doing that because I know that that lotion really helps heal my hands or whatever. Yes. So for us to learn from these spellers has been the biggest takeaway from me even if Skylar is not writing, you know, doing complete sentences and, and openly communicating yet, the other spellers have told me what I need to know about my son in, in a, in an odd way, but I guess, you know, they all are very similar with their body movements and not being able to control that. And it helps me understand Skylar better. 
through his peer spellers, <laughs> you know, they're like, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they're the ones who have taught me and gotten me to where I am with my level of understanding of this, right? As mm -hmm. a practitioner, I always refer to spellers and non-speaking individuals as the experts in this mm -hmm. area, right? Because without their input, I have only learned from other neurotypical people. And so I, until I knew what these spellers and um, people who are typing to communicate and before I knew what they had to say about the situation, my practice looked completely different. But now that I can learn from them and get their input on um, what is going to help the most and what things that I need to kind of do away with and what do I really need to focus on has been so helpful. So if, especially for your listeners, I would encourage you to research and find, I will at the end, I think give you guys some resources, um, a place that you can find lots of blogs and other books written by non-speaking individuals, um, documentaries, all sorts of things where you can learn from this population, because what I see and what I think your listeners will see reflected in a lot of that is these people who are now very effectively communicating started out um, in a place that's very relatable, um, mm -hmm. that you have seen before, that your listeners have seen with their own kids before. Mm -hmm. Well, so for people who aren't familiar with the way that it's set up, does every speller, regardless, I mean, because you kind of have to gauge where they are in the process, does everybody start with a three-letter board or can you kind of tell based on their motor planning if they can go right to a board with all 26 letters on it um, to start with? Everybody starts on the three boards. And so okay. when I say the three boards for your listeners that don't know, that's just going to be the alphabet split out into three different stencils. And so you've bigger got letters, right? Yeah. All eight or nine letters on each stencil. And so mm -hmm. they're larger, they're easier targets to hit. We always start there because I want to build a really solid motor foundation, um, at the easiest level before I increase that challenge. Um, some people, just like we've been talking about, some people move through that really quickly. And some people need a little bit more time there, but everybody starts there because I always want to build a really strong foundational skill so that if we do, when we do move up to that 26 board where we have all the letters in one place and we're having a really hard day, right? Maybe regulation is really challenging. Maybe we're anxious about something and it's causing us to be less accurate. Maybe I've got a headache and just getting my eyes to focus is not as easy as it typically is, that we can drop back down and still continue to practice and get comfortable with building those motor plans. But we have a foundational skill that's a little bit easier that we can go back to. So we can keep building those motor plans. We can keep building that connection between the brain and the body and ultimately keep moving forward. Well, and I think one of the things that, I mean, you're an excellent practitioner. So we're so blessed that you work with Skylar, but because, um, of his motor planning being unreliable some days, you know, he's, his eyes are crossing and that's a, a recent thing that we're experiencing. Um, he's just not in it, but there are other times where I maybe started covering. So again, Skylar was on three boards is still on three boards for the predominant amount of spelling, but we fluctuate back and forth between the 26 board, depending on how he's doing. So um, when we started though, we covered, I took a piece of paper, folded it in half, covered the top row. If I wanted him, um, for example, the bottom row and his first board has E through I. So if it was a letter that's, or a word that started with a letter G, um, I would cover the A, B, C, and D, and then help him you know, narrow it down more to the G just to kind of get him started. And because his eyes and his finger and his arm have to work so hard together. And so we were doing that forever and ever. And then he was hitting me and he hadn't hit me, hit my leg and acted out, you know, in a while. And I'm like, what is going on? And you said, why don't you just take the cover off? And the minute I took the cover off and let him just spell with all eight or nine choices with each board, he stopped smacking me. And I'm like, I just laugh. And I'm like, 
I tease Skylar because I'm like, well, you could tell me in a nicer way <laughs> that you're that you're bored and that I'm, you know, babying this for you. But I just yeah. don't know. So it's so important to watch their body language because that's how he's communicated for 18 years, you know, is through his right. body and frustration well, and I mean, whatever. Even at this point in that situation, he mm-hmm. doesn't yet have a strong enough, a different way that is reliable to let you know, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like he's at a point where he can say, spell out for you yet. Hey mom, this is too easy, right? But we were, we were moving right along and doing what had supported him in so many other situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And that day he was ready for more of a challenge. And as we have worked up now, I mean, you're not needing to cover it hardly ever. Um, But yeah, we started by narrowing that down, making it easier for his eyes. And he built the motor plans he needs now that he doesn't need that extra support. Yeah. And it's so neat that, I mean, I, I use that word and like, I'm just awestruck all the time because I know now after like the first two sessions he did with you when you were here in town, I just, I went from a a complete non-believer and I openly admit that to anyone. I'm just like, there's no way he understands this. And that's one of the questions I get a lot is how do I know that my child even knows the alphabet? Like, why would I start spelling when they, I'm pretty sure they don't know the alphabet. And honestly, I didn't know Skylar knew the alphabet. I didn't know he knew his numbers. I was like, how could you spell if you don't know what the letter B is? Um, And I mean, you know, we were in tears. I'm sure most parents are. And in the books, they talk about that too. But I mean, him spelling words, and I'll never forget you asking him the synonym of a word. And I'm looking at my husband like, come on, Kelly, like give him cat or dog at least. (laughs) Like give the kid a Mm -hmm. chance. And he spelled it without Mm -hmm. even hesitating. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he is 18 in there. He has observed everything that we've said and he's seen on the news and what's going on. It's, it's the most beautiful thing. Yes. And it is. And the way that you describe your reaction as a parent is the typical reaction I get (laughs) from a parent. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that I, I love that you're talking about that because that's exactly what that process feels like. Um, and presuming competence is foundational for spelling to communicate. And so when I say presuming competence, what I mean is that we're assuming that the individual I'm working with can and wants to learn at an age appropriate level. And for a lot of families that I work with, that does seem like a huge jump. But I always take it back to the brain and the neurology of what's happening. So as I'm speaking right now, you're processing and hearing and understanding what I'm saying, thanks to Wernicke's area, which is your receptive language center in the brain. And then your brain is coming up with thoughts, ideas, responses that you haven't yet put out in the world, right? And that's happening in Broca's area, which is our expressive language center. Those work together. And that language center of our brain is 100% a cognitive process. To be able to show what's in that language center of our brain, we have to use um, the motor strip in our brain. We have to use some sort of motor skill. We've either got to um, pull somebody's hand over to the thing that we want. We've got to be able to point, circle, um, write something, type something, speak something, use sign language, all of those things require a motor skill. And if we don't have a reliable motor skill, we can't truly know what's happening in that language center, right? Expressive language sometimes, um, gets used interchangeably with speech, but in reality, those are two completely different things, right? You have thoughts and ideas and responses that are in your brain that thanks to our filter, right? Sometimes never come out into the world, but that (laughs) doesn't mean that they're not there. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, that's what we see with our spellers is that language piece, that 100% cognitive piece of the brain is fully intact. It's being able to demonstrate that with a motor skill that becomes really challenging. 
And so when we can address the motor skill part first, we now can actually see what has been in that cognitive piece of the brain um, for so long, but we can't do it without a reliable motor skill. And this is where too, um, I have the luxury of defaulting on my experience with previous spellers, um, but also you as a parent or my other parents that I support can go and hear from other, other people who started where you are and are now able to effectively, reliably communicate. And they're all saying, I was always smart. I was always in there. I just didn't have a way to get it out. And so I make that assumption with every client. I always assume that they are in there and they just don't yet have a way to get it out. Um, at worst, right? I think of it as that's my least dangerous assumption. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm wrong, if I'm assuming they can and want to learn age appropriately and I'm wrong, the worst thing that happens is I'm teaching them ineffectively, right? If I assume they are not cognitively competent, they don't have the ability to learn at age appropriate level and I'm wrong. Now I'm making decisions for them that aren't, um, that might be disrespectful, that mm -hmm. might be frustrating or even, um, even really dysregulating to them, right? Because I am assuming they're not capable cognitively when really they are. I know that I was in that situation. That's the thing that would cause me the most anxiety is looking yeah. around being like, I know how smart I am and no one else does. Mm -hmm. Or talking about them in front of them, demeaning Absolutely. and yeah, Absolutely. baby talk, any of that stuff. Right. Ultimately, yeah. if we're not assuming that they're capable and truly they are, we're the ones that are limiting what's possible for them. And as a yep. practitioner that serves this population, I never want to be the one who's limiting opportunities. Yeah. Um, how have you had a situation with um, spellers that have, they haven't progressed or the age appropriate, age appropriate material is um, a little bit difficult or how do you know? I guess, how do you know if, if at Skylar 18, if you're reading him stuff about, you know, we've covered all kinds of topics and if mm -hmm. he's just not getting the words from the questions that you're asking him and things, do you just kind of move down to maybe like 16 year old reading or 13 or how do you, how do you assess that and, and evaluate and fix it? So I, if things are not going the way that I expect them to, I always make the assumption that it is a motor related challenge. Um, so thinking about some of the things that we have talked about, right? Um, I know we did at one point a lesson about time travel and the physics of time travel mm -hmm. and asking him to spell something like um, theory of relativity mm -hmm. is a long ask of me, right? That's a lot of motor work. And so if he is struggling, if he's having a hard time with that, my assumption is that it's not because he doesn't know the answer, but because I'm asking a lot of his body, right? Mm -hmm. I'm requiring a lot of his body. Um, when I present information, I try to have a variety of I try to have a piece of information that is going to be cognitively challenging enough, but is not going to be completely over the top, right? Um, until I know a speller better and know that I can go really high with them. Um, because I don't also don't want it to be frustrating that I'm asking for words like um, synesthesia. And that's a lot of work and both cognitively and motor to be able to spell that. I don't really think very often about taking the cognitive challenge down much, but I do try to make it as accessible for spellers as possible um, while still meeting that, that cognitive need. Well, and so I guess, does that go along with pacing um, and, and kind of what we talked about a little bit ago about starting with three boards, moving to 26. And then there's also with spelling to communicate it, it all, I assume begins with asking questions, comprehension questions from the reading. And you're asking for a word, sometimes maybe getting started. Would you say Skylar spell the word theory and you tell him sure. the word and then he spells it. And then if he's nailing that, then you're like, okay. And then you ask him the question, maybe theory of relativity is the answer. And you're like theory of what? And then he spells relativity on his own. 
And then you move into once all that's accurate. So can you explain that moving into Mm semi-open, open math? Absolutely. So in spelling to communicate, we move through both a motor hierarchy of skills and a cognitive hierarchy of skills. So we start on the three boards because it's the lowest motor challenge, but often it's still very challenging for our spellers because they haven't been asked to use their bodies in this way before, right? We haven't been able to um, reliably use our bodies this way. And so I think of it a little bit like a seesaw. If that motor challenge is really difficult and that motor challenge is really high, I wanna keep the cognitive challenge low so we can spend all that energy focused on the motor. So when we first start and that motor challenge is really high, I might say, okay, let's spell theory, right? So we can spend all of our energy focused on the motor. As that motor gets easier, now I have, and that motor challenge comes down, I can push the cognitive challenge up a little bit because we now have more energy that we can focus on the cognitive. So I can ask a question that might be what I call a known question, but it's a reading comprehension question. I have just taught it to you, so I know that you know the answer. As we keep making that easier and easier, right? Now that we have access to all 26 letters and that motor is getting a little less challenging for us, I can ask you a semi-open question. So that's a question that would have more than one possible answer, but still a finite amount of answers. There are only so many that it could be. So maybe that's a list. Maybe that's name another physicist that we've talked about during this lesson, right? And we have three or four options and we can now answer a question like that because our motor is reliable enough on the 26 board that we can get to that first letter and I have an idea of what you're thinking. I can still support you there. If we're on the 26 board and we've developed that reliable motor skill and every time you need the M, you get right to the M. Every time you intend to hit E, you get right to the E. We've built that accuracy. Now I can start to ask questions about what are your thoughts? Who, who is the more... Um, who's the more influential physicist, Isaac Newton or, or Albert Einstein and why? Because now you have that reliable motor skill that when you hit a letter, I can trust that's where your body means to go. And I can take those letters and follow what it is, what thought it is that you're trying to communicate. Um, And that takes a while. It Mm -hmm. takes a while to build up to that skill because as you're moving through it, that motor and cognitive, it is a seesaw. We've sometimes when we jump to the 26 board, we've increased that motor demand immensely because now instead of eight or nine letters, you've got 26 and they're much smaller. So we have to be much more precise when getting to the one that you want. So we're increasing that motor challenge and having to drop the cognitive for a while. And as that motor gets easier, now we can go back to really pushing that cognitive up again. Yeah. I would imagine you don't want to push open communication or even semi-open too quickly because you're going to frustrate your speller because they know the answer, but they can't get to it. And then they get frustrated because they want to be perfect and they want to show you all that they know. And if, you know, I, I would hope that it wouldn't have the opposite effect when you're, if you push them too much, you know, too fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. If we take it back to what we were talking about, about it being similar to baseball, if you take a kid who has been playing t-ball and put them in a high school baseball game, they're, they're not going to be able to participate even at their best, right? Because they're having to then think about all sorts of things that have nothing to do with where they've been. And they're going to be overwhelmed. They're going to be anxious. It's going to be difficult. And the same for our spellers that if we've been working on the three boards and we don't have that motor skill perfected yet, we don't have that reliability there yet, to jump into something that's both harder from a motor stage and from a cognitive place, it's going to be completely overwhelming because we just don't have the skills yet to be Mm -hmm. successful there. Um, We also really want to build those foundational skills and build that reliability first um, so that we avoid ever putting our words in the speller's mouth. Right. All of this is 
designed so that our spellers can communicate their thoughts. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't ready and they don't have those skills yet, they don't have that accuracy yet, there's so much room um, for something just to kind of go sideways on us. And the ultimate goal is always, always, always to hear what they have to say. And we have to have that reliable motor first. Yeah. I mean, and it's okay though, to, um, you know, with your practitioner and your therapist support to, um, kind of test some theories. Like when we order, I asked you, I'm like, can I, should I go ahead and order the 26 board? Um, cause Skylar doesn't use stencils. He uses boards with foam letters Mm -hmm. just because his motor is not sufficient enough to hold the pencil and poke it through the stencils to pick his letters. Mm -hmm. So he uses his finger and he points to the foam letters in case anyone's confused about that with my pictures and stuff. But, um, so I ordered the 26 board and it has numbers on the back, just the basic one to 10 or one to zero. I'm sorry. And, um, we, you know, we tested that a little bit. We just asked him a very simple math question. I think it was like, um, a, a date like 1982, and then it was subtracting another date or something. And, it, um, it was a, a two number answer, I think. And shockingly, I mean, not shockingly to him cause he's brilliant, right. but, but to me, I'm like, I wonder if he's going to get this, you know? And then he, I just put it up and he nailed it. And I'm like, Yes. Had a babe. So, I mean, we haven't well, done a ton kind of, of math. Question, but. right? Mm-hmm. That kind of question is also really a known question. I've given, you've given him all of the numbers he needs to mm-hmm. be able to make that, um, to create that answer and come up with that answer. And so he knew exactly what he needed, but what he has improved to be able to do that is his accuracy, mm-hmm. his reliability to be able to demonstrate hey, yeah, I do know this answer. And that's that's one of the things that's the most fun is once you've done all the hard work of developing those motor skills is getting those glimpses into how brilliant these spellers really are and mm-hmm. what has been in their brains and what is, what how smart and how much they're capable of um, that's always been there. We just didn't know. Well, um, some of the questions that um, people wrote in to me to, to ask you, um, one of them, is there a specific age that a child must be to be able to start spelling to communicate? Um, and I didn't want to answer for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> the youngest that I will start with specifically spelling. So directly on the spelling board or on the letter board, sorry, is um, four and a half right? Age appropriately, about four and a half, we're, mm-hmm. we're starting to do some basic spelling. Now, when I'm working with a four and a half year old, that's going to look very different than when I work with Skylar, who's 18, right? I'm not going to be asking them spell theory, right? Mm-hmm. Because age appropriately, that's not it. We're going to be doing some letter recognition, right? We might be talking about, um, bears and hibernation and why do bears hibernate, which would be an age appropriate thing for them. Um, but all right, bear starts with B. I want you to find that B, right? So that we're doing some letter recognition. We're doing developing those motor skills without asking them to spell a long word that is going to be challenging for any individual that age. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the youngest I would start with using the letter board, but I would start with uh, developing purposeful motor skills as soon as possible. So at two and a half, three years old, um, as soon as you start to notice that there are some sensory motor differences in your child, I would start working on purposeful motor skills right away, because that way you're going to have this purposeful motor foundation already built and you're not going to have to work through as many of the, of the motor challenges when it comes time to start spelling. Well, I think one of the other blessings with you being our therapist is, um, you're a trained OT also. So you were able to help us with some things we can do with Skylar to develop his fine and gross motor skills a little bit stronger to help him with spelling. So that's always a huge component that I think goes with it. If your child is in OT or not in OT, you might strongly consider getting them involved in fine motor activities. It'll only help later with the ability to point and use their eyes and all the hand-eye coordination that's required with spelling, typing, all of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I would just encourage you, even if you're already in those types of services, 
to pursue motor planning and how can we improve motor planning. Um, as an OT, I've seen a lot of different types of treatment, right? Um, for the people that I now work with for this population. And a lot of things are often focused on sensory integration and that is definitely needed but what sometimes gets overlooked is that motor planning piece so I would just really encourage you to seek out some motor planning support now um this isn't a question that I um gave you a heads up on but I just thought of it so if you can't answer sure. it, just say I can't really answer that that's fine um, but I was just thinking you know what when we're talking about age ages of starting spelling and even throughout um is I, I worry that some people think that doing spelling to communicate or typing, if their child even is six or seven and they're not speaking, that by doing this, they're eliminating the possibility that their child will ever speak. This isn't for, you know, I just, I, can you speak to that? Because I, I yeah. really, I think at this point, I'm okay at 18 that Skylar has never uttered a word. He may not have the motor skills, the ability to, to actually emote speech from his mouth. And I'm okay with that. So we are trying desperately to communicate with him in whatever way is possible. And this seems to be the best method that's worked for us. Proloquo didn't work. Pex didn't work. Sign language didn't work. None of that stuff. And I'm sure it all goes back to his motor planning and eye coordination and all of that, which was really difficult. He's really taken to this. So I, I just, you know, I wonder if you get that question a lot. Like if I'm doing all these assisted sure. type of communication methods, am I going to deter my child from ever speaking. Okay. That is definitely a concern that I hear very frequently. And my answer is no. Um, if anything, it is the opposite. Now I will never, I am not a speech therapist. I am um, working on communication and not speech. And so I will never guarantee that your child is going to speak as a result of our as of our motor supports, but as we increase purposeful motor, speech requires purposeful motor as well. So if anything, I have had families who see more um, speech just because they're increasing that purposeful motor. And that's what the research tells us too. The research tells us that um, if anything, uh, using assistive technology for communication actually supports um, is more supportive of speech than it is going to detract from it. Well, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yes. Skylar surprises so, me every day. He may actually spit something out. I have no idea. <laughs> and again, for a lot of my clients, that is never going to be their most effective means of communication. Mm -hmm. um, but in gaining purposeful motor, they're gaining purposeful motor as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, well, kind of along the lines of age, age appropriate level or, or when you can start, um, a speech pathologist actually wrote to me too, and um, is kind of puzzled by how a child is taught to spell when you're not confident that they can read or write, that they don't, mm -hmm. you know, pick up. Skylar's never picked up a book. He's never mm -hmm. indicated that he enjoys reading or wants to read. He's never written or held a pencil or any of that stuff. Um, so, um, you know, I just wondered if obviously they're retaining all of these words, they're known <laughs> words, they're hearing them, they're seeing them, mm -hmm. they're, they're constantly observing, which we, we all believe, I, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So how does that work? I mean, how do you answer that question? I guess with reading and writing. Well, independent reading and writing are not the only ways that we learn to spell, right? Um, when I think about what we've talked about so far and that neurology that we go back to the language center of our brain is that cognitive piece but to be able to demonstrate what we have there we have to use a motor skill and reading and writing both require a pretty fine motor skill um writing certainly does it requires mm -hmm. your digits um and reading requires the tiny muscles of your eyes to be able to effectively scan across the page and so both of those, um, and you mentioned for Skylar, but for any, uh, anyone who struggles with that uh, brain body connection or um, motor planning are going to be difficult skills to use effectively, right? But they're not the only way. Um, a lot of 
learners might learn spelling words as a an elementary school student by um, using their bodies, right? Go over and get the first letter in this word. Go over and find the second letter in this word. And that's not requiring them to sit down and read a book or use their hands to write to be learning to spell. And our, um, my clients and spellers all over the world have told us, you know, I have been teaching myself and I have been learning from being in the world. There's text on everything. If you were to walk around your house, I think you would probably find in every room three or four things that have writing on them, right? That aren't a book that we've had to sit down and read, but have that written uh, written words on them. Um, the same for when you're out in the community. If you think about going by billboards or being at the mall and seeing the names of stores or even the packages that are delivered to your house, right? Have text all over them. <laughs> and so our spellers are being exposed to language and to words and to spelling, whether we are having them sit down and read a book or write or not. Well, I, I can guarantee you should add Amazon to our list of words. I know Skylar <laughs> can spell Amazon because there's always packages at the door. Um, you know, there it's you funny go. though, because all the years of watching Sesame Street, just, mm -hmm. I thought, honestly, he enjoyed it for the music, which I still think he does because he's, he's now taken to it again. He went for like a six or seven month hiatus where he didn't watch it at all. He got mad when he turned it on. It's kind of strange, but um but all the conversation and all the spelling and all of the teaching they do, and he, he's had 18 years of it, of absorbing that. But it's funny too, because one of his favorite parts of Sesame Street or any show that's on TV is the credits. Mm -hmm. He stands there. We again thought it was the music that he liked at the end, but he watches until the very last name rolls by and it's mm -hmm. going by fast. But every single time he's watched the same Elmo's World video, so many times he's probably recognizing the names and he's, you know, like he sure. is retaining all of that. And it's just, I can't say it enough times. It's so intriguing to me just yeah. to see what he's doing right now, because mm -hmm. I just didn't know that was in there. And I hear that a lot from families, especially about things like cartoon videos, right. That seem, well, my child can't possibly learn about the theory of relativity, he's interested in Sesame Street. Like that's appealing to him. But there are a lot of things about something like Sesame Street that are appealing, right? The sensory input that we get from that, the music, the color, the um, it's designed to engage our sensory systems. Um, also, there has to be a little bit of a feeling of nostalgia there, right? I know one speller who writes about it's so calming to watch, he calls them kitty videos, um, because I know what to expect. And they're things that have been comforting to me for a long time. Um, but I also do have several clients who have taught themselves things, um, presumably from, from some of those videos. They might watch the same Thomas the Train video in three different languages, right? Because they're so familiar with it, they can start to pick up on Spanish because, mm -hmm. um, and teach themselves and engage their brains in another way. I find almost always our spellers have been finding creative ways to teach themselves and engage their brains, um, for years. Well, that's what scripting Skylar again has never done that, but it's so, it's so neat because they are using an episode of Dora or whatever, when she's like, I don't want to do that to tell their parent. And they just keep playing that clip over and over and over mm -hmm. to, um, I mean, it's just amazing the way their brains function and they're determined to get us to figure out what it is that they need or want or trying to tell us and they'll <laughs> stop at nothing. I mean, Skylar has unfortunately just had to resort to smacking me or hitting the walls or whatever. Cause he's just not, he doesn't have another method to get through to us to understand. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. but it's lessening. I, it really is. The more he's, I feel like finding his independence through spelling and now that we say all the time, like you are so smart and, you know, I just, that's incredible that you know that and you know, whatever mm -hmm. we talk to them differently since you started. Absolutely. Between gaining control over your body through practice, which is what we're doing while we're spelling and being treated like the person you actually are on the inside, rather than 
um, being treated as this sort of outside appearance that you don't have much control over makes such a huge difference in the way that you're able to regulate your body and the way you feel in a space. Um, I see that all the time that when we start to give our spellers credit for how incredibly intelligent and capable they are on the inside, then we see a huge shift in what happens on the outside. Well, I guess related to that. So, um, you know, I've mentioned again, many times, um, to, uh, to, in my social media and stuff that you live in Tennessee and we're in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And so most of our sessions, and unless you come to town, like you just did, which was awesome, um, are zoom sessions. And mm -hmm. I am Skylar's, you know, true communication partner. I'm the one that sits next to him. I'm the one that takes your feedback and lowers the board, raises the board, moves it, does all those things. Um, and there's always a lot of um, nervousness, I think, from parents mm. about if, if their therapist doesn't live near them, is this even going to be possible? Because our only experience with online learning is because of the pandemic and teachers trying to do therapy over the computer. It's just not right. effective for a lot of kids. Um, but this has been extremely effective. And Skylar has actually taken to me being his communication partner, not Josh. That's the one thing Josh doesn't <laughs> get <laughs> his favorite of of Josh over me is spelling, but is that a, an atypical response usually to kids and parents being communication partners, or is it kind of mixed? Parents make great communication partners. Now mm -hmm. there are some things that some dynamics, right. That already exist between you and your child that don't exist between me as a practitioner and your child. But I always tell families, your child wants to communicate with you, right? They are thrilled that they can communicate with me, but they want to communicate with you more. And so anytime I'm working with a family, whether it's in person or virtually, I want to train a parent as a communication partner as soon as that is feasible, because I only get to see you once or twice a week, if that often, but your parent is there to support your communication in any different situation or in much, much more frequently than I am. And so I want my spellers to have someone in their home that is working on this with them as well, even if they're located in town. Now, a virtual session looks a little bit different than an in-person session, because when I start in person, I am getting to work hands-on in helping the speller build those foundational skills. Um, when we work together virtually, like you mentioned, I'm really supporting you and building the skills you need to then turn around and help Skylar build his own skills. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it just, it looks a little different. That process, um, might be a little bit slower paced because you're having to learn your end of it as well. But I see great success with it. If people are being consistent and, um, and we're able to meet and see each other virtually consistently. Um, I would encourage people that if you have never experienced this before, if you've never seen it before and you can go and see an experienced practitioner just as you're first getting started to kind of help you build that solid foundation, even if that is for three days, right? And you can go and get in some sessions to help you get comfortable with what should this look like? That's going to be sort of a little bit of a jump start um, that then you can move on virtually. But I've had lots of families that have success um, moving forward virtually. That's good. And you know, it was interesting. And I, I posted about it <clears throat> recently when you came to town and did the three days with him. And the first day you said most kids were not regulated at all because we were right. in a different location and they are all used to being in their homes and stuff. And, um, so I, it, that wasn't that uh, abnormal that Skylar struggled a little bit the first day, but then it just was very apparent. He made it very apparent that he didn't want to spell with anyone, but me. And I was just like, because hmm. we kept building it up like Kelly's coming you're gonna actually get to see her again and all of that and I just I was shocked really because I thought he would have said oh thank god mom move over you know like finally someone who yeah. knows exactly what they're doing you know but mm -hmm. he just it was just really strange to me yeah. that he had that reaction 
I think of the communication and regulation partner, I call that CRP, but that CRP and speller relationship, a lot like a coach and athlete relationship, right? As the CRP, you're the coach and you are looking at your speller, you're finding out, okay, what are the things that are really supportive to your motor planning? What are the things that are maybe not supportive? What are the situational factors that are going to affect your regulation? What are the things that are happening around us that might be affecting your regulation, right? Um, and you are taking all of those into account and making tweaks based on those things all the time as you're coaching to help him do his best work. As the athlete, he's getting comfortable with what he can expect from you as a coach, right? He's getting comfortable with when she says this, I need to tweak that. When she gives me this support, I know that this is kind of where we're going, right? And so you develop this relationship that looks a lot like a coach and an athlete. And with any athlete, as you move up further and further, right? You don't want to go to the Olympics with a new coach. You want to go to the <laughs> Olympics with a coach you've worked with yeah. for years, right? Because you know that your best is, it's going to be easiest for you to do your best with the person you work with most frequently. Yeah, that makes complete um, sense. And so when I add a new communication partner, even if, if I were going to another practitioner's clinic, I would be really hesitant to just sit down with any of their spellers because they don't know me. They don't know. I don't know them. I don't know. I know the best ways to coach in general. I don't know the best ways to coach them specifically. And they have communication regulation partners who maybe don't have as much training as I do, but that know them inside and out and have learned exactly how to best support their bodies and their regulation. That relationship is so important. Mm -hmm. And in the last year and a half, you and Skylar have really cultivated that um, so that when he wants to do his best spelling, you are the person he wants to be supporting him. He really likes me. <laughs> yeah, I never, I always wondered. I've wondered for a long time. No, I'm kidding. Um, one thing to, uh, last thing, just kind of about communication partners and spelling. So when um, a speller gets to the 26th board and they're open communication and they're, you know, giving you their thoughts and opinions on things, which is multiple sentences, before they get to typing, or even if they're typing, how do you um, kind of manage that? Do you write down what they're saying? Because I mean, I just know some of your spellers, they spell very fast. They point they're, they're so accurate and they are so good and they want to get it all out. And so as is Skylar's partner, when he's doing that, I'm worried that I'm not going to catch the words that he's saying, mm -hmm. and I'm going to mess him up. And you don't always have your boards in public with you. So if we're at the grocery store mm -hmm. and he wants to tell me something, how does, how does he do that? Or how do, how do spellers do that? Well, when you get to that point, I suggest that you do take your board everywhere, right? Okay. Typically, I want to wait until you get to 26 letters, so you only have yeah, to carry yeah. around one board. Um, but I would suggest that you take that with you so that he has access to his communication anywhere and everywhere. Um, as far as keeping track of what has be, is being said, I always keep a transcript for every lesson that I do with a client where I am writing down what was asked and what the response was. Um, and so that helps me as a practitioner kind of keep track of where, what we've been working on, but also it helps me um, keep notes about what has been said and keep track of, okay, because I can't hold sometimes three or four sentences in my head, right? We get one and I need to write it down so that I can stay focused on what's coming next. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always have a sheet of paper where I am keeping track of what has been said. Now out in public, that might be that you're jotting it down on your notes app really quick, mm -hmm. right? Um, or something but I also always want to have a written record of what was spelled because these guys have to work so hard at getting those words out that I want to make sure we're not losing any of those, right? None mm -hmm. of those are just getting overlooked. They are documented so that we can come back to those thoughts as we need to. Yeah. And that's what is so um, great about reading 
and hearing from spellers that are, you know, very fluent at this point or typers, um, even having, I had Emily on a podcast episode and she typed with her communication partner and then it just, you know, it spoke for her. It voiced out what she said, but it's, it's for the, all the naysayers that are like, you're, you're putting his hand, you're pointing his finger sure. and you're leaning him towards the A and towards the D and all of that. And they don't believe that he's really doing it. I mean, for one, I just have to say, you have to witness it yourself. I, I was a non-believer at first too. I'm like, there's no way he knows this and he can do this. And, and I never said that to him. I would never say that out loud sure. but, um, in my mind. I'm like, you know, we failed at every single therapy. We hadn't failed, but it just wasn't the right fit for him all these years for everything else. This is probably just another you know, notch on the, it didn't work for us list, but, um, but seeing it in person, it's a whole new thing. And also some of the stuff that has been written about and published, um, and, and documented are the things that these spellers are saying, even their parents are like, there is no absolute, absolutely no way that the therapist knew that they had no idea that his favorite color was magenta or whatever. They have no idea that, you know, our favorite song to listen to in the car is this. And he spelled out, I love when we listen to this favorite song, my dad and sure. I, or whatever. And it's like, how can you well, not I find, that? I find that even the way that the sentence is formulated is yeah. not the way I would have ever put it together. Yeah. Right. Or um, I also find that as you work with fluent spellers, you start to get comfortable with everyone has a little bit of a different voice. The way that they structure their sentences or the words that they use are are different than maybe another speller. And you can just start to see their personalities, but also the way that they would be speaking. Um, And we see that all the time with neurotypical people, right? Where you know, okay, if they said it like this, I know exactly who it was. And Mm -hmm. it's the same, it's the same for spellers. so even if it doesn't include some sort of information that I didn't know about, there's there's this piece of, oh yeah, I hear him in that because I know this is, we have had enough experience with his communication at this point that that's what he sounds like. Yeah. Well, how can spellers, or I mean, parents um, that want to start spelling or look into it, how, how can they best find spelling to communicate therapists in their area to observe or to, you know, just to reach out to because- I'm sure you would not recommend, um, as I wouldn't now that I've been a part of this process, people just making their own boards and then just kind of starting spelling with their kids because you just, there is a foundation to it and you could really confuse them and frustrate them to where they don't want to even do this. Um, almost like I would just be afraid, um, that we were prove making them prove what they know, demonstrate for me this, show me that you can spell the word, you know, Mm -hmm whatever. And, and that's the last thing you want to do, I think is to question their intelligence in that way. Correct. I definitely don't want to create a barrier to communication, um, by asking them to prove something before we're going to pursue this. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what I would encourage you to do is reach out to a professional. The best, the best place to find all the practitioners around the world is to go to IASC, I-ASC, Org. Um, that is the website for the International Association for Spelling as Communication. Um, and on that site, there will be a practitioner map where you can see who are the closest people to you. But you can also email them um, at info at iask.org and they'll be able to tell you who is closest to you and who might be able to support you with that. Um, you're also more than welcome to reach out to me um, at adroit. A-D-R-O-I-T therapyservices.com or email me at info at adroittherapyservices.com and I will be happy to um, help connect you to somebody who is is closer to you if that's not me. Yeah, well, I will link all those up too in the show notes and um, so people have direct access to that stuff. Uh, thank you so much. I guess in closing, besides presuming competence, which is the biggest takeaway language I've gotten in the last two years, um, with working with you and spelling to communicate, and it's just changed my life. It it really has. And Skylar's too. Um, is there anything in all the years that you've been doing this now that you have taken away from your families and the spellers, um, just about this program in general? 
It's definitely that presuming competence changes everything, right? Um, even before, and what you're experiencing, even before you have that open communication, if you will change the way you view um, that individual who is not speaking, then they feel seen that that starts to change the interactions in your house. I have had so many clients whose, parent, whose parents have told me before they've even been able to demonstrate all the things that they know, I know this is working because he wants to come here and do this, right? Um, as far as what spellers have to say that I would want everyone to know is just that they are over and over and over again, we hear from them that they are intelligent, capable people and they really want to contribute both to their households, to society, to the world. Um, that's something they really have a desire to do and that their insides just don't match their outsides. The person that they are is not represented by the, their bodies and what you see on the outside. Um, and I would just encourage everybody to, to find ways to hear from those individuals directly, whether it's blogs or books or documentaries, because I think that is life-changing for sure. Yes. It's definitely better to hear directly from them. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kelly. I appreciate it. And I mean, I'll be seeing you uh, a couple times a week, but <laughs> I just appreciate you coming into my life. I feel like there's timing for everything. And I'm just so glad. I, of course, I always am like, man, I wish I would have known about this, you know, five years ago, but you just can't think that way. And he is doing so great where he is right now. And I, I'm looking forward to all the amazing things that he's doing, you know, in the future with, with spelling. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm thrilled to get to be a part of it. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll take care. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of living the sky life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the living the sky life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Skylife with others. Thanks again for listening.